Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Today we're talking about a piece of Arizona history I'm going to bet you haven't heard of before. It's kind of a hidden history sort of thing. We're digging into a local property. It's called the Swindle House or the Swindle Tourist Inn. This question comes from... Hi, I'm Laura Woodland and I live in downtown Phoenix. Every day I drive down Washington and I pass this really cool looking house. And you know, I'm kind of nosy, so one day I decided to look up different houses in the, like, the Garfield neighborhood and the history of it. And I saw this one and I saw that it was the Swindle House or the Swindle Tourist Inn. The Swindle House was one of the only boarding houses for Black people traveling to or through Phoenix during the 1900s. Historically, it was a segregated city. Um, It was pretty clear from signage and things like that that Blacks, Hispanics, certain Asians, others weren't welcome at the hotels, motels. Producer Taylor Seeley has worked for two months tracking down knowledgeable sources, and let me tell you, the history of this building was difficult to piece together. But we are so excited to finally share it. The story of the Swindle House starts in 1913. That year, a widowed woman named Matilda Steyert originally from Belgium, purchased a lot at 1021 East Washington Street. And with the help of her six sons who worked in trades like engineering and carpentry, they built a home with enough rooms for all of them. But by 1920, her sons were starting to move out of the house. They were getting married and leaving the nest. Uh, She started to uh, take in boarders eventually. And that was common for uh, widow ladies uh, in uh, Phoenix and other places to take in boarders. That's Doug Cupel, a historian who would later write the nomination to put the Swindle House on the National Register of Historic Places. We'll get to that part of the story later, but for now, let's go back to 1920. As it turned out, uh, where this house was on Washington Street, emerged as a African-American neighborhood. From 1910 to 1920, the population of black people in Phoenix increased by 227%. And because of segregation, there weren't many places where people of color could stay when they traveled here or when they moved here. So it kind of developed around her, and then she became uh, began taking in African-American borders. Matilda Steyert didn't advertise her home in newspapers. For example, Phoenix Index was a black newspaper that other tourist inns used to get the word out. But because discrimination was rampant, word of her boarding home spread quickly among people of color, and her house became a go-to spot for travelers. But don't forget, the house today is known as the Swindle House. So how did it get that name? This is the second chapter in the history of the Swindle Tourist Inn, 
the chapter where the home really cements itself in the history of Black people in Arizona. In 1938, Matilda's health took a turn for the worst. She gave the home to two of her sons before passing away, but her sons didn't really want to keep running the boarding home. So they sold it to a black family, Golden and Elvira Swindle. So they were uh, church-going folks, and so involved in the church. Mr. Swindle, a.k.a. Golden, worked as a custodian and a deacon, and his wife, Elvira, was a deaconess. They decided to continue running the boarding home. Yeah, I would imagine, uh, you know, it was a pretty good portion of their uh, income uh, renting out rooms to visitors, uh, African-American visitors in Phoenix. The boarding home was successful enough that the Swindles saw fit to expand. In 1950, they added a second story to the house and with it, six more bedrooms. There were uh, three rooms uh, on the uh, the ground floor, which were uh, rented. And then there were um, another uh, six rooms on the second floor that were rented. So, you know, altogether, that's uh, nine rooms in there. So it could accommodate a lot of folks. So you could kind of guess that the service the Swindle House provided was in high demand, which makes sense when you think about the era. A lot was changing when it came to U.S. race relations. World War II and the aftermath brought an influx of Black soldiers and their families to Phoenix for training. But segregation didn't dissipate after the war. It wasn't until 1954 that the Supreme Court desegregated public schools in the Brown versus Board of Education court ruling. Until all education is unaware of race, Emancipation will be a proclamation, but emancipation will not be a fact. By 1956, the black students of George Washington Carver High School in Phoenix began integrating the schools formerly intended for white students only. We have proved that great progress is possible. Another pivotal moment came with the 1964 Civil Rights Act. 1964, the act which prohibited discrimination in public accommodations and strengthened school desegregation and fair employment. Every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. But even with these advancements, people of color still faced unfair treatment. You know, history isn't that cut and dried. It takes time for things to evolve. And so even though these uh, practices were ending, they didn't end overnight. To be black in a white society is not to stand on level and equal ground. As black people's struggle for equal treatment continued, they would rely on tools like the Green Book to find safe places to eat, shop, and stay overnight. 
So there was a special guidebook for African Americans called the Green Book, and it would uh, let uh, African American travelers know uh, what hotels they could stay at, where they'd be welcomed, boarding houses such as this one, uh, restaurants, uh, that kind of thing, where they'd be welcomed and accepted so that they uh, didn't have any conflict when they were traveling. I found the Swindle Tourist Inn listed for the first time in the Green Book in 1948. Rumor has it actually a few famous black people stayed at the inn, like Count Basie, the jazz pianist, and even Jackie Robinson. Maybe that's how they found it. And so, uh, you know, we think about sports figures and uh, we think about Jackie Robinson, uh, you know, integrating baseball in 1948. Go on away, black boy. We're the welcoming committee. You'd better get out of here. No, Jackie. Go on. It just makes it tougher having you here. We want to have a talk with you. We don't want you in this town, see? That last clip you just heard was from the Jackie Robinson story, a movie from 1950 starring Jackie Robinson himself. It depicted what life was like for him as he traveled the country as the first black player for Major League Baseball. I can't 100% verify if Jackie Robinson stayed at the Swindle House. In more recent history, people have tried to track down a guest list from the home's early history, but nothing's been found. I can verify, however, that the Swindle House meant a lot to the people who counted on it. In 1989 and 1990, Elvira and Golden Swindle died. The house fell into disrepair after that. It wasn't until 1992 that a group of people took interest in it. My name is Booker T. Evans. Booker T. Evans is a lawyer and longtime member of the Desert Mashi Golf Club. The golf club formed in the late 1940s by a few black professionals who played together at Encanto Golf Course. And Encanto was the only golf course that African-Americans could play on. I should say quickly that Desert Mashi Golf Club is open to people of all races, today and historically. But it started as a sort of rare, safe place for people of color to come together and golf. And in 1992, Booker and his friends from the club decided to put up the money to buy the Swindle House. Then the, the Swindle House was kind of a haven for people who, who were traveling or who were moving here. So it was, it was a very natural connection. Some of the other members who joined with Booker in the purchase were two men who had actually lived there in the 60s. Walker Matthews and uh, Nathaniel Hornbuckle. They were the first and second black engineers ever hired by Motorola anywhere in the country. So they assigned them here. And when they got here, they lived at the Swindle House so they could find some other place to live. If you listen to our episode on redlining, you know about the housing discrimination people of color faced. The Swindle House was a safe haven not only for tourists, but for people like Walker and Nathaniel, People who moved here for their careers but struggled to purchase homes. In fact, it was Walker and Nathaniel's idea to buy it. They wanted to convert it into a clubhouse for kids in the neighborhood to use. So they bought it on July 21, 1993. 
The members of the club also hired Doug Cupel, the historian from earlier, to write the nomination for the House to be on the National Register of Historic Places. It earned that historic status on July 12, 1995. I think the thought was that that it was so much a part of the history of uh, Black people in the city that it deserved a historical designation. Then they got to renovating. I came across several articles from the Arizona Republic archives documenting the revitalization of the house. One article headline read, Tribute to Black Heritage, Golf to be Showcased in Historic Inn. But unfortunately for the golf club, something they didn't expect happened. Kept working on the kept working on the house, and they got the house into really good shape. But by the time they did, the neighborhood had changed. There was development going on everywhere, and there were there were few, if any, kids in the neighborhood anymore. Basically, the house just didn't serve a purpose for anyone once it was actually usable. And eventually, the Desert Mashie Golf Club decided to sell it. That brings us to chapter three in the Swindle House history. You know, these walls could talk and tell the stories of those days of when they were here, how they were overcoming and the plans and excitement of doing away with racism and discrimination. Uh, That would be, those would have been very, very interesting times. That's Lance Milak. And I'm the owner of the Swindle House. Lance had owned the home next door and befriended the man who was in charge of coordinating the sale of the Swindle home, Lincoln Ragsdale Jr. If his name sounds familiar to you, it's likely because his father, Lincoln Ragsdale Sr., was a well-known civil rights pioneer in Phoenix. My background is I'm South African and, uh, you know, have experience of living under apartheid and was quite familiar with the racism and discrimination. So it was fascinating for me to be able to preserve this property and to put it to to use. Lance leases out the many rooms of the Swindle House as office space. And he said to preserve the history of the building, he's largely kept the same layout. There's still the same fireplace. There's still the same kitchen. It's just been cleaned up. But here's a cool tidbit. Lance told me the home has a crawl space and basement. And in that basement, he's found old historical items. We've managed to uncover coins and also little bottles that I've kept that is indeed a component of the history of this building. Because the Swindle home is on the National Register of Historic Places, the exterior will never change shape. You can view pictures of it at phxoffices.com. On that website, you can also see the plaque designating it historic. Lance said he thinks he's done everything in his power to preserve the integrity of the home. There's nothing more that I'm aware of that could be done to preserve this building more than what has been done. I've taken every possible step that I could to Uh, optimize the history and and keep it as is. And as for the Swindle House's legacy, that brings us to the fourth and final chapter. 
Booker T. Evans from Desert Mashie told me when the club sold the house, they put the money from the sale into a trust and they started a scholarship to help kids associated with the golf club attend college. After that was established though, the club didn't really think about the house anymore. It's always been like a, for me, a transaction, reviewing paperwork and things like that. I asked Booker how he thinks people should remember the Swindle House going forward. Our society treats the history of minority groups in this country. If you just look at how we, we, we don't teach black history as an interwoven part of the history of the country, which it is, we, we set aside this month and the year and we say, well, this is Black History Month, or this is Women's History Month, or this is, it should be, it, it, it's, it's integrated. He said he thinks about how people forget so many important stories from the past. It needs to be preserved because uh, you think about, you, you, you think about the, how people forget what happened? You don't know anything about it. Uh, young people, so the young people in the community don't know uh, as they walk past that place or drive past that place, you don't know that once that was the only place in town that a black person could rent a room. You, you, you don't know that. Then Booker came up with an idea. Remember the scholarships Desert Mashie Golf Club started out of the sale of the Swindle House? He said he wanted to propose naming one of those scholarships after the Swindle Home. And the Swindle House is buried deep and nobody knows. So unless we, unless we keep it alive by, you know, having a scholarship named for it or something where periodically you talk to someone about it, it goes away. So and it loses its meaning, it loses its connection to those of us who didn't have to live there, so. So what I'm hearing is maybe the scholarship will be named the Swindle House Scholarship. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe we'll name, yeah. We give enough of them, so we could, we could easily do that. And uh, that, would be, that would be a really nice thing to do. The Swindle House is old. It's been through many different phases. And there are probably great stories from people who stayed there that will never get told. As Lance said, if those walls could talk. But at the very least, I'm comforted by the fact that the Swindle House is registered as a National Historic Property. I'm comforted that its history might live on through a scholarship in its name. And I'm comforted that all of you who are listening right now know a little more than you did before. And I would encourage you to keep sharing the story. I hope if any listeners out there know someone who knows someone who knows something about the house, they'll share it with me. And I hope that we get more questions like this from listeners, questions that aren't easy to answer, but that lead us to uncover history that is really important to be told.
Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We hope it can be a fun outlet, a nice little audio escape for you and your family. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show. Thanks again. See you next week.